0: Welcome, everyone, to the Five Solace Podcast. We are once again live on Facebook, but only for the first 10 minutes of the episode. If you want to hear the rest of the episode, you will have to download the podcast on your favorite podcast app Apple, Android. Of course, the Elect have Apple, but of course, If you have Android, I'm not going to hold it against you, but we'll be live for the first 10 minutes of the episode. The podcast will drop on Tuesday, and you are going to want to hear this entire episode because we are continuing our Tulip series for the month of April. Last week, I had a fantastic discussion on total depravity slash radical corruption slash total inability with the other James White, I had a great time and I have gotten nothing but great feedback, so I am incredibly excited to move forward into TULIP and talk about unconditional election this week. That's right, the doctrine of unconditional election, predestination. Of course, this is a very controversial topic, but a very necessary topic for us to discuss and make no mistake about it. Today, my desire is that we would rest upon sola scriptura, scripture alone and not rest upon mere I want to discuss what scripture says on this very important front. I am concerned about what God says, and I love this teaching because it shapes how we view God and salvation. And, I am not tackling this alone this week. Uh, I am joined by a fellow brother in Christ. We had a little bit of time to talk here a few minutes ago. Great guy. A fellow podcaster. His name is Lance phelps lance it's great to have you thank you for joining me
1: well thank you so much for having me on i always enjoy love doing podcasts and now i get to do them with a fellow brother in christ who i just recently met actually so that's pretty awesome this is this is uh this is like one of those things that brings people together that wouldn't necessarily be able to each other so.
0: so Lance, before we go into Unconditional Election, can you tell everyone a little bit about you? Tell us about your podcast and anything else that we should know.
1: Well, I uh, I run a podcast with my co-host, George Immert. Uh, that's Dive Deep. We do biweekly shows. And then I do uh, another show, which is basically a coffee break, you know, and he's going to launch his other show here pretty soon which is just me and uh i do it weekly or every day basically across the week and i pay, basically tackle everything um, and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be dealing with the same-sex controversy by james white i read a lot of books and report on them and things like that but it's a lot of fun it's, uh, I've, I've been loving podcasting,
0: so. Yeah, so I was listening uh, the other night. You invited me to the one that you guys were doing on Dive Deep, and it was about the authority yeah. of God's word, and it was fantastic.
1: So we had our pastor on for that one, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. You guys were three deep on there, so you were diving yeah. deep with three deeps. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I posted in the Christian podcast community looking for guests to join me in my tulip discussion weeks back, and you and I had a little bit of discussion there. And I knew that there would be more than a few people who wanted to, Discuss unconditional election. Uh, us Calvinists love the doctrine, of course, but <laughs> what draws you or drew you? Get it, John six forty four. What yeah, drew you yeah, to this yeah. point more than the other ones?
1: Okay, so. Actually, for me, the doctrine of election started it all. I I came into uh, Christianity as uh, basically from a charismatic, um, a to God background. My family was charismatic and slash to God, and I went to a charismatic church for many years. And I distinctly remember this one this one time. I was in one of the cell groups. We were in a cell group, um, and this one guy was saying, in in our group of people, he was saying, you know, I don't think that I w- that you would like me anymore to the group of people, and, 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 and one of the Ladies in the group turned to him and said, why? He said, well, I don't believe what you believe anymore. And she says, what do you mean? And he says, well, I don't believe, for instance, that we have a free will. And I went, what? Yes, we do. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's in the Bible. We have free will. And he said, he looks at me dead on and says, where? And I went, well, uh, uh, well. and somebody else had to be like, well, it just depends on how you interpret it. I had no idea what I was dealing with back then until many years later, God opened my eyes to the doctrines of grace. And specifically the one that slapped me over the face, strangely enough, wasn't total depravity. It was unconditional election. Everyone has this real big hang up about like limited atonement and whatnot. But unconditional election for me was the big deal. And for me, it was how explicitly it was taught in scriptures. Yeah. It just really, it, it it's my, my entire Free will based mindset, libertarian free will started to crumble to the ground. And I was like, I I don't I don't know what to believe anymore. And then I started reading scripture and it rebuilt my my thinking. So,
0: yeah. So we have a little bit of a similar background in that. Uh, So I'll get a little bit more into that a little bit later. But I discussed last week in the total depravity episode that all of the points of TULIP logically follow the T, total depravity. Let's talk about that in a second. So I'd like to make this twofold because this is a doctrine that non-Calvinists misrepresent all the time. I talked about this last week, that common practice for many opposed to the doctrines of grace is that they don't necessarily argue against what we actually believe, uh, but rather a misrepresentation of what we believe. And we find this in other areas of doctrine as well, such as the doctrine of the Trinity. uh, Specifically, if you speak to a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. Most of the time, they're arguing against uh, oneness or modalism. Mm-hmm. And to which I say, you know That's what, I actually I absolutely agree with you. I condemn modalism and oneness. So <laughs> we're on the same page there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. James White makes the same distinction in his book, The Forgotten Trinity. Uh, uh, so I want to yeah. break this down into two categories. Number one, what is the teaching of unconditional election and what isn't? Teaching of unconditional election. So, to start us off, Lance, would you give us a foundation here with a definition of exactly what unconditional election is?
1: Okay, so unconditional election is the doctrine that God in eternity past has selected those whom he will not based on any foreseen merit of any kind, like foreseen faith or foreseen good works. He chose in eternity past who he was going to regenerate out of the mass of people. Who have willingly and very much desirously to rejected God and turned away from him, turned to their sins, he has chosen that 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 group of people who he is going to regenerate. And by that regeneration, they will then place their faith and trust in him. Uh, and so, and it is only based on his good pleasure. It is not based on any foreseen merit or faith on our part. Okay, and I
0: would 100% agree with that definition. Guys, if you were on Facebook Live right now, you're missing out on something very great because the material that Lance is giving is phenomenal. But just like last week, we are going to end it right here. So that means that you are going to have to download the podcast on Tuesday. I release it every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. That way, if you're on the way to work, you can pick it up and listen. Uh, So with that said, we're going to end our Facebook Live. And on the podcast, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with you.
1: Robert here, co-host of Growth Project Radio, and I want to tell you about Grace Alone Witness Apparel. This ministry is dedicated to providing you with biblical apparel and gospel tracks to help start conversations for the gospel. They firmly believe that it is the responsibility of all Christians to be obedient to the command to preach the gospel, and they want to help you to do that in any way that they can. They have many designs that are bold and biblical that are sure to spark conversation for the gospel to the glory of God. They also do custom work, as well as bulk orders for all needs from personal to ministry to outreach, they can take care of you. Visit gracealonewa.com for more information.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Five Souls Podcast. So, we just got a foundation for what unconditional election is. So, I want to talk about the common misrepresentations that we typically get. And before I go into that, I did do a poll on the Five Souls Podcast Facebook page asking, Is unconditional election biblical? And yes, my page is heavily Calvinistic, but I post in other <laughs> groups to get opinions from them as well. I'm not opposed to conversation. And 98% of people said unconditional election is biblical. So I guess if we go with the majority rules, that, but that's not the method that we use whenever we interpret <laughs> scripture. We know that. Uh, so the typical misrepresentations that we get, and I'll go through these a little bit quickly, and Lance, I'll have you chime in on some of the ones that maybe I don't address. Okay. And I'm going to call this a get out of here segment. So I'm going to give three common misrepresentations. Uh, Misrepresentation number one, uh, election makes us robots. No, and no Calvinist believes that. We do believe we make a choice, but we are only able to make that choice because of God's sovereign election and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Calvinists have no need to evangelize if the elect are going to be saved anyways. False. We are commanded to evangelize and share the gospel. We do not know the identity of the elect, therefore. For we preach the gospel. After all, it is written, how will they hear without a preacher? God graciously uses us, his creation, through the preaching of the gospel that the elect come to faith. God fulfills his sovereign plan. Through human means. Number three, you're so arrogant to say you are of the elect. Um, I have no room to boast. I don't know about you, Lance, but I have no room whatsoever to boast. That's why Ephesians definitely two, not. Yeah, that's why Ephesians two eight says that it's by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not from our own doing, but it's a gift of God. There's nothing special whatsoever about me or anyone else who is in Christ, and we will discuss that a little bit further in a moment. So, can you think of any other misrepresentations, or is that kind of usually?
1: I think that sums them up pretty well. The other, if if I was to come up with any other. Misrepresentations—they would just be kind of extensions of one of those three. Um, basically, it's, it's common to make Calvinists out to be either cold yeah. and uncaring, or to uh, because Calvinism does reject libertarian free yes. will, rightly so. Um, It—that is where that claim of well, it makes us robots comes from, yes. because the we we have this intuitional understanding of libertarian free will that sort of stems from our culture. So when that gets challenged, and that's a foundational issue, it's one that so many doctrines rest on. Mm. When that gets challenged, people will get flustered and like, well, well, but doesn't that make us robots? Well, from a definitional standpoint... In libertarian free will, yes, it does make us robots. But libertarian free will itself is not at all biblical. It's it's a false doctrine. It's a false belief. You know. So obviously, this we are still free agents, but not free in a libertarian sense. So no, we're not right. robots. Right. And this
0: goes back in um, a, a book that I read prior to doing any kind of recording whatsoever on it was the Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther a fantastic I've book. I too. got the uh, Legacy of Faith set for Christmas from Another Brother in Christ, and Martin Luther is one of the authors. And man, I, that book series is fantastic. I got Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, uh, Augustine. It's, it's so full of richness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another one that we commonly hear now is, if if we bring up, uh, say, the book of Ephesians, you know, we mentioned the, the verses in Ephesians that speak on predestination is for some reason, we get told that we're following John Calvin. But, you know, we just, po- I, I remember know. posting just Scripture one time, no no comments whatsoever. I posted Scripture and they said, "Oh, you're a follower of John Calvin." I was like, <laughs> "Okay." Uh, and then the next
1: comment on that was Servetus.
0: Servetus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So.
1: Well, what can I say? Well, you should really just say, "No, no, no, I'm a follower of Augustine, who followed the Bible," <laughs> right. but you know, right? And then they're like Pelagius. Yes.
0: So a book that really you kind of went into a little bit on how you come to the doctrines of grace. So I imagine Mm -hmm. that this was a, it was for me because I come from a charismatic background as well. Um, Whenever I was saved, I was in a heavily Pentecostal prosperity gospel church, and God saved me in that church despite that. But Mm -hmm. whenever I started reading through the scriptures, the first thing that I seen was that the apostles were getting stoned and suffering in the book of Acts. And I was like, well, this doesn't sound prosperous at all. Uh, It sounds like the Christian (laughs) life is marked by a little bit of suffering. So. That opened my eyes, and then the next thing you know, I opened the book of Ephesians, and I see this word predestination, and I struggled through this for a while. Uh, It was unconditional election and limited atonement that were my hang-ups. I would stay Mm. up at night. I could not sleep because I was obsessing over the doctrines, and eventually I was like, you know, I can't deny it, especially when I turned to Romans 9. Um, So for the listeners listening, I do recommend two books for you, Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and Chosen by God. By R. C. Sproul. Lance, I'm not sure if you've read either either of those books, but they are fantastic.
1: Chosen by God. Yeah. And I'm I, I think that I might have it on my list, Holiness of God by R. C. Yeah. Sproul.
0: By far. Uh, actually, I think Holiness of God, that a lot of seminaries are putting it into their required reading. Come on, it's good yeah. stuff. It's really so good. uh so this is my question, Lance. Is we talked about total depravity last week, and we we say that the doctrine of total depravity, if you have the T the rest the other four kind of follow into place how exactly mm-hmm. does the doctrine of unconditional election flow from that total depravity total inability
1: so of course total inability is the doctrine that we as humans will always desire to rebel against god because at our at the root of our you know our self our hearts which in hebraic thought the heart is the root of our actions you know yes. remember jesus said that out of the out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, in other words, Jesus is saying, "Look, your the causal chain for your actions ends at your heart for the for the proximate means, of course, for proximate cause. It ends at your heart, and so therefore you do." What you most want to do—I mean, the heart is complex, obviously. We, we read Romans 7, and we kind of get this complex picture of the yeah. heart. But, but nevertheless, we do what we want, what we most want to do. That doesn't mean we don't have competing desires. That's another misrepresentation of that particular doctrine. But the total depravity says, effectively, that, that since you're going to do what you want to do, and God clearly says that it, after he destroys the entire earth— after the flood, he says the the thoughts and and the deeds of man are evil consistently. And then we read Romans nine, or I'm sorry, Romans three, and was just like, oh gosh, oh, yeah. this no one is righteous, no not oh, one. Man. <laughs> so much so that Origin, as much as I believe that Origin was off point on many matters. Origin looks at that and he's like, ah, I you know I. He can't mean that. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, Origen, he does mean that. And, and so what that means is that unless we have the sovereign hand of God, do what we read in Ezekiel 36, 26, where I will give them a new heart, a new heart I will put into you, a heart of, I will remove the heart of stone and place a heart of flesh. Unless we have that happen to us, then we are going to, until the way, basically in our entire life, we're going to say, no, God, I hate you. And we're going to do it in different forms, but we're not going to love God. We're going to hate God. And so unless we have that intervention by, by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to hate God. And that's where the question of, well, who's going to be saved? If everyone hates God, who's going to be saved? And then we, of course, then turn to the Bible and we see unconditional election. This is the answer to that question.
0: Right. And you kind of brought this up a little bit. and Maybe I uh, maybe have you elaborate on it a little bit more is the libertarian free will uh, I know that, that was something oh, that's a bundle of it joy. It is right a bundle there. of joy. And honestly, that's probably two podcast episodes just in and of itself. Oh yeah.
1: Isn't isn't Andrew Rappaport gonna talk about libertarian free will? Mm-hmm. Uh
0: well, you know, i I'm trying to get Andrew Rappaport on. He was gonna do an episode with me on false conversion, uh but he had to travel out. So that's gonna be a good one there, just because I think that um uh, that that false conversion is just so rampant in this country.
1: Oh yeah, it really is. Especially
0: really with is. all the false cults well, and yeah.
1: Libertarian free will is something that I've studied quite a bit. I've read uh, both sides of the argument. I've read Hasker's William Hasker's is an open theist. I've read a plan, Alvin Plantinga, which actually is a reformed guy, which makes me super sad. But he have read he's he's very much in his book. Uh, in his book, oh, what was it? Um, I can't remember. He one of his books he defines John Frame actually says persuasively, not, not I guess not persuasively, but a powerful argument. He defines libertarian free will as being necessary. For humanity to uh, to 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 be truly genuinely free, and that's not an uncommon thing. He just does it with you know flowery language. He's actually kind of a Alvin Planning is kind of kind of an arrogant person. I, I read his his uh, advice to young philosophers. And I was sitting there going, this guy, he's. I don't think I want to take advice from this guy. Anyways, that's off point. The fact is that I've I've read you know Roger Olson. I've read uh, all these people, and then I've also read here. Let me grab this book here real quick over here. This book, I don't know if you can see that, Love, Freedom, and Evil by Thaddeus Williams. It's a lesser known book, but uh, it goes in and the, along with uh, some other books that I've read about libertarian free will, it annihilates libertarian free will from a biblical perspective. And the the problems with libertarian free will, I don't, we, we don't want to go too far into this, but the problems with libertarian free will are, first off, it is 100% not biblical. Uh, the idea, actually, let me let me just define it. The idea is, that uh, libertari- that you are only free if you have the ability to do one action or another. And you have total indifference between those actions. And we're talking, this gets deep philosophical yes. here. We're talking like, we're not talking indifference on an on, on everyday level. We're talking indifference at the core of your causal chain, right? So, of course, there's philosophical problems with that yeah. too. You know, ones that they have not even come close to answering. But the idea is that you have to have total indifference. You have to have the ability to choose one or the other. And that includes your own heart. Your own heart has to be outside of it. So then the question becomes, wait a second. This then is in Rene Descartes, right? Where he says that we have to be completely indifferent in that our desires are just this secondary, you know, thing looking on as a chaos being at the center of our, of our person makes these decisions like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, but that, that's what's happening. Yeah. You know? It, where's the causal chain in in uh the freedom of the will? Jonathan Edwards makes the the good point that if there is no causal chain, and there's many others who make this good point, if there is no causal chain, how can we be held morally responsible? That's a that's a common thing. People say, if we're not li- free in a libertarian sense, then we can't be held morally responsible. Well, that's just philosophical footwork, fancy footwork. Yeah. That's basically trying to uphold to a sovereign view of man's will that is in no that, that basically overrides God's sovereignty. On the pretext that, well, we can't be held morally responsible for stuff. It'll make God the author of evil. All these things that the Bible annihilates. And again, we can't really go into all this in great detail. But the the idea of libertarian free will, the, the primary problem with that is I can't read it anywhere in the Bible, not even remotely. I can read the exact opposite stuff like in Romans 9 that destroys libertarian free will. But you know where I can read this idea is in Aristotle. I found it in Aristotle. Yes. I found it in Epicurus. I found it in Rene Descartes. I found it in, I could just, the list goes on and on, but these aren't the Bible. These are outside of the Bible. So, sorry, I didn't mean to go on too long. On no, 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 you're fine. That's perfectly
0: fine. Now, one, I know one thing that you commonly hear, uh, specifically from people who are not proponents of Calvinistic doctrine, unconditional election, is, you know, even people that have been raised up in church, this is a concept that they have not necessarily been introduced to. Uh, from a biblical perspective, and so whenever they hear right. of unconditional election, the first thing that comes to their mind—that's not true. We have free will, and
1: <laughs> right, and they mean in a libertarian sense. Very exactly. important that we because because our culture, as R.C. Sproul points out, from the day of birth in our culture, in the Western culture, you are inculcated with the idea of libertarian free will being that which is absolutely non-negotiable, right. And I I think that
0: we we should have a little bit of an issue with this, because at one point, I mean, it's a very big issue. Uh, At one point, you have a doctrine that is just completely at the heart of the absolute total sovereignty of God that glorifies God and magnifies his grace and salvation. And then you have a doctrine that basically professes almighty man, uh, that and I mean, really, the only way, in my view, and maybe I'm looking at it wrong, the only way that this can truly be consistent in the free will ideology is open theism. And I think that that is why we are seeing such a rampant rise in people who are going to open theism. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure how familiar you are with open theism. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, familiar yeah, obviously, with studying the libertarian free will, you have to go into that because that's the logical progression. And that is so dangerous yeah. because you yeah. completely mess with the attributes of God. And-
1: right. Well, I mean, open theism, once you, once you, I mean, I actually have a lot of respect for our, our Armenian brothers and yes. sisters, especially like Roger Olson, because their inconsistency means that they're more biblical, which I just love. I, I know we disagree on, on, uh, you know, on an unconditional election, whatnot. I, I believe you're wrong, but nevertheless, you uphold God's sovereignty in many ways, yes, logically, some of your beliefs kind of destroyed the sovereignty of God. Let's not go there right now. Open theism, however, says libertarian free will is such a non-negotiable that we have to reinterpret the entire Bible in order to be consistent with open the- with libertarian free will. But here's the question that I need to ask you if that's the foundational principle by which we are going to interpret the Bible, then wait a second, you have to be able to to prove that the Bible itself doesn't annihilate libertarian free will. And and no open theist has even come close to even attempting to do right, that.
0: Right, and I remember watching, whenever I was first studying open theism, I remember watching a debate between James White and I believe it was Bob Inyards. I believe that's his name, but at the very end in the cross-examination, uh, James White basically got into a Trinitarian discussion on if Jesus could have sinned against the Father, and the answer was yes, and he was like, what would have been the result of this? And it was like, the Trinity would have been undone. That is the depth in which this... That's terrifying. It is. is. Could you imagine uh, the absolute utter chaos? I mean, God is no longer God at this point.
1: (laughs) Right. What, do we have some Hindus, gods that are fighting with each other? What do we got here? No, this is... This is blasphemy. We can't talk to God, talk about God like no, that. No, not at
0: all. And and you know, I will make two. I will make a disclaimer. I did a poll on this as well. Uh, is do you have to believe in the doctrines of grace, Calvinistic doctrine, in order to be saved? There were five yeses. There were forty five nos. Um, I in no <laughs> way uh, will sit here and condemn. I, I have many Armenian brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they love the Lord. They are wrong on their soteriology, but I love them <laughs> yes. so much. They they're. Yes. Honestly, they, they are some of the most mission driven people that I've ever met in my life. I love them deeply. Mm -hmm. But the idea of free will is that the common theme that you see within scripture is that we are all slaves to something. We're all slaves to something. So in the, Mm -hmm. in the natural man, we are slaves to sin. We are in bondage to that fallen nature, uh, that was, that was imputed to us from Adam at the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, And then you see slaves of righteousness, those who have been brought to and raised to spiritual life by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And I try to break down terminology a little bit. I use big words sometimes and I don't catch myself. Regeneration is just that work where God turns your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, gives you that new spiritual ability and desire to come to him. And like right. you were saying, is that that is let, let's dive into that a little bit more. Let's dive deep is. Yes, is, <laughs> let's do it. Are we making choices? And this goes back to the robot thing. Yes. Are we making yes. choices or are we just puppets being driven along by a master in the sky?
1: <laughs> so really, um, whether or not you believe that we are making free choices depends on your def- definition of freedom. I believe that a biblical definition, the, the, the absolutely true definition would be absolutely we are making, while we have a causal chain that can be traced back to our hearts and then ultimately back to God, who is sovereign, nevertheless, the proximate cause being our heart actually is the qualification that is required in order to consider something a free action. Free actions, therefore, are made by if you or if you do not desire that thing. So if you desire to do what it is that you're doing, then that is a free action. Then the libertarian free will proponent steps in and goes, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. The only way you have a free action is not if you just if you desire it. They say, yeah, you do have to desire it. But then they say, and you also have to have the ability to do the opposite choice. Absolutely. But there's a serious problem with that. And again, tons of philosophical things we can't get into now. The Bible, though, does not define it that way and it does not, and it not only that, it destroys libertarian free will. Again, we can't get into the true depths of that. These are books and books and books. But nevertheless, free actions need to be defined as something that we do with our heart desire. So let's say that you're going to go up to your wife. You're going to give her flowers. She's not going to look at you, and by the way, I'm dealing with a philosophical, I'm making a philosophical argument here that we intuitively know that actions must be Uh, based on our desires in order to be free we don't intuitively know that they that they have to be totally uncaused like aristotle says but we do intuitively know that they have to they have to be have back desire so let's go go up to your wife and you give her flowers is she going to look at you and go i don't accept this because i feel like you did this based on a heart desire and not on total freedom (laughs) she's going to say oh that's so sweet i am i i willingly receive this gift and she's going to see it as a meaningful action that was free because you had the desire to do it. Again, this gets very philosophical, but we have to base our philosophy not, as Paul says, not on empty philosophies that are based on human traditions, but on the wisdom of God, which means our very philosophical foundations have to be torn up and thrown out And the Bible has to be the one to define those philosophical foundations. Right, and that goes back to
0: Sola Scriptura, that God's Word is our ultimate authority. Well, guys, we are getting into some very, very deep stuff here. I'm enjoying the conversation. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right
1: back with you. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all asked, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage,
0: family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look.
1: Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here.
0: Grace and peace. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Five Solas Podcast. I am still here with Lance Phelps, one of the hosts from the Dive Deep Podcast, and we are having a fantastic discussion on unconditional election, predestination, sovereign election, and I don't know about Lance, but I'm enjoying it very thoroughly. Oh, I'm enjoying Man, it, too. Man, this is just such a... I love talking about yeah, this it's stuff. It's just <laughs> such a deep topic that, I mean, if, if, if you if you can... Just scratch the surface of it. You are doing a fantastic job. And we're not even scratching the surface because of how deep this I goes. Know. It is so. You and I seem to be really on the same page whenever it comes to unconditional mm-hmm. election. You know, I sent you, I sent oh, you definitely. like some notes that I had for it, and well, some of that's kind of in an article that I've uh, that I've written. <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, article that you wrote. I mean, it was very in depth, yeah. very well written. Uh, what were you planning on writing that before uh, we planned the podcast?
1: Or- yes, also- <laughs> yes, I was. I started a series back on. Well, I started planning the series. Um, back in January, and then I uh, I've been gathering resources and whatnot, and then I started a series, both a podcast and article form, um, in my in my daily podcast that is basically the series is called Why I Am a Calvinist, and the re- I have so many non-Calvinist friends that are like, why Why would you believe that? This is intended to to be to be like, yeah, here you go. This is why now. In true Calvinist form, it's a, it's an 11-part series, <laughs> but uh, and so I, I plan on writing articles for every last one of those, but this one on Unconditional Election is basically the third of the article series, so that's why I'm writing it. Awesome. So our, one of them is about libertarian free will, too. Yeah, way. awesome. So
0: everybody, make mentioned.
1: sure to go and check out
0: Lance's material. We're going to link that in the podcast description. We're going to give awesome. you the podcast information. Uh, check on our... Uh, Facebook page for the Five Souls Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you like that page. Write us a review. Share the page. Whatever you gotta do. Help us grow. We greatly appreciate it.
1: Yeah, guys, Five Souls is awesome. So you definitely need to be helping this this ministry. Grow. I
0: appreciate it, man. It's uh you know, I'm actually very surprised at how well it's doing. You know, when it, I told uh Andrew uh, Rappaport I'm a part of the Christian podcast community and I told Andrew, whenever he asked me about the statistics, I'm like, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't send me stats for about the first month, uh, just because I don't want anything swaying me because I want this to be something that I go through with years. I love podcasting. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. so I said at the very beginning of the episode that I want us to lean on solo script and your yes. article does that very well. So I want us to get biblical here. I want us to talk about, it. um, what the Bible says about unconditional election. I want us to talk about some common verses that seem to oppose unconditional election. We're going to go into foreknowledge a little bit. Seem Yeah, to. We're, giving, uh, we're giving the air quotes right now. <laughs> we're on Zoom right now as well. Uh, so let's talk about some of the scripture in the article that you gave. Let's get biblical. Let's really dive deep into the scriptures. Because that's really what matters okay. is what God says, not what we necessarily have to oh, say, yeah. Yeah. but what God yeah. says. So let's talk about some of the scriptures in, uh, in the article.
1: Well, uh, the, I cover three scriptures in, in three passages. There was a lot more, um, but I, I wanted to really try to make it succinct, and I, co- I cover John 6, uh, Romans 9, and Ephesians 1. And in, in many ways, I cover the whole chapter in a way. Well, I guess I don't cover the whole chapter, but it's I have to bounce around the chapter to really zo- zo- zoom in on what is sure. important for the doctrine sure. of unconditional election. Um, but in John 6, it's, I, I, I labeled that the honest truth because – Jesus Christ is giving us sort of a he's uncovering um, the what's happening in eternity past what's happening in his in his secret will if you will um, and he is exposing that to us and he has a purpose for that he doesn't just say these things just to say these things there's there's multiple reasons one of them is to create awe and we'll see that in Ephesians 1 and the other is to actually explain why people are not believing he says it multiple times throughout John 6 this is why you don't believe this is the reason that there is unbelief in it and he explains Explains it through well unconditional election, uh, and then I covered. Well, I already went through that Romans nine and Ephesians. Yeah, Romans nine is so a big on. one, right? So usually,
0: yeah. No yeah so uh, you talk about the cage stage here. So the cage stage is whenever someone is just coming into the doctrines of grace, and they're more zealous than they have knowledge about the topic at hand. Mm-hmm. And they are willing to fight about absolutely everything. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> hey, I, I just want—I just want to put this out there. If if you're a KJ Calvinist, please stop it. But the second one is if if you are if you are had the the joy the joy to, to be accosted by a KJ Calvinist, just be patient because you got to understand when we come into this and we it, it it was shocking to me how clear this was in the Bible. Yeah. I was sitting there reading this, and I literally said to myself, "This is in the Bible." How, why have I not been taught this all my, I mean, and it's not just sort of in the Bible. It's just not like, well, if you take this passage, sort of like this, literally word for word, you could quote it and be like, i oh, I have the doctrine of unconditional election.
0: Yeah. So, so, so patience, what you said there is the key. Please uh, be patient. Be, be, su- be long suffering with them. And believe me, there may be some suffering. Uh, when We're working, working, on, working them. on them. <laughs> uh, discipleship is key here. Um That, mm. I was fortunate with that. Whenever I come to the doctrines of grace, you know, I was in this cage stage, you know, I heard the word free will and my eyes would start glowing. Read and Romans, and, and I wouldn't even know the verses in Romans 9. I would just Romans 9. And, yeah. and uh, so yeah, the yeah, cage yeah, stagers, yeah. be patient with them. They're, they're brothers in Christ as well. They just need a little bit of uh, trimming around the edges. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so Ephesians is a very, very heavy book on the doctrine of unconditional election. And it is so beautifully written. And it it's like, it's almost prophetic in a way that. That the people of God would look at this text and that they would, in their souls, would just sing with joy at, at the mm-hmm. depth of its mm-hmm. riches. and uh, And you can tell that by the way that Paul is writing it is that he is just overcome with joy at the absolute mercy of God and his sovereignty. And so,
1: so if you wanted to get into Ephesians 1 a little bit, um, it actually – the verses 3 through 14 are – in the original Greek, they're one long sentence. Very long. It's just a giant <laughs> sentence. It's one of the longest sentences in, known in antiqui- antiquity, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. But it is a eulogy, and the the eulogy is intended to incite praise and worship. And so it's very telling that Paul would say things like – Uh, In love he predestined us for adoptions to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Note that he said in love he predestined—that means chosen sovereignly—us for adoption— that means that we are we are we are made one in the family of Christ and we have to be saved in order to be that. So this adoption means that we are saved, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, not according to foreseen faith, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Super important point because it is to God's glory that he would even expose that truth. It's so that we can go it's holy 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 is the Lord of all creation. Amen. Amen.
0: So and, you know, whenever I was coming into the doctrines of grace, as I remember, you know, I told you I was going through the book of Acts and uh, really kind of, you know, seeing that, hey, maybe this prosperity gospel isn't too biblical. And so I'm going through Acts and I arrived in Acts chapter 13 and I seen something in there. And this is what started it for me. Mm-hmm. Acts thirteen forty eight, where it says that those who were ordained to eternal life believed, And i was like, what is this?
1: Wait a second. Don't you know that what he's saying there is that those who had foreseen faith were then given oh. the gift of faith in that actually it doesn't work yeah, it
0: doesn't work at all I'm sorry I don't mean
1: to be too snarky i i really we do need to be careful not to be snarky and and kind of you know arrogant i but it doesn't make sense. Logically. No, it
0: doesn't. It doesn't flow from it. I remember looking at this and I was like, what does this even mean? And I brought this verse <laughs> up to a worship pastor at the church that I was at at the time. And he said, well, he's referring to the Gentiles. And I'm like, are you Jewish? He's like, no. I was like, what do you think you are? <laughs> so so let's, uh, let's talk about um, some of these verses that are used to oppose unconditional election. Because to an untrained eye, someone who is new to the faith, or maybe someone who just hasn't studied the scriptures in depth, uh, someone who is mm-hmm. not uh, does not know any kind of rules of interpretation for hermeneutics, uh, mm-hmm. sound exegesis, at face value, uh, these verses can be very challenging. They can be ones that kind of I'm not I don't want to use the word stumble, uh, but they're ones that can trip you up a little bit if you are trying to study the doctrines of grace and at face value you can say, well, no, the doctrines of grace just simply are not biblical based upon these passages. Mm. So, Here's our favorite one. Every time you bring up the doctrine of unconditional election, that God has sovereignly in eternity past, has chosen a people for his own purposes to be saved through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, you get emphasis on whosoever, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, whosoever believes does not mean anyone can and will believe. We go back to John six forty four with that, um, back to our inability that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And Jesus actually says in John six thirty seven, and I remember seeing this quoted in your article that all given by the father will come to him. That's an absolute and definite statement. There is absolutely no doubt whatsoever in the words of Jesus that all given will come. And so, you've experienced this right with John 3:16 a favorite verse
1: oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah i i've had all the verses thrown at me um but this but one of the things that i have to patiently work through when we have these these types of verses thrown at us is that we have to expose the uh, hidden premise that is inserted into the interpretation yes. it is and one of the things that's extremely important when you do any interpretation is that you do not allow hidden premises to become inserted that are themselves unbiblical so we We do have to adhere to interpretational structures. And by that, I mean that there are laws of logic that we do adhere to. So we, of course, believe that language can communicate reality, right? Mm -hmm. We're not the – we're not – not Schleiermacher, but we're not the philo- the language philosophers of the early twentieth century who say that language is ultimately meaningless, and Wittgenstein with his language games. we do believe that language can communicate reality, and so the question then becomes, well, you know why do you believe that? But the Bible itself doesn't actually ever say language can communicate reality, and so it's not it's it's not wrong to bring that idea as of foundational bedrock for interpretation. What is wrong is when you bring in other ideas that are themselves annihilated by scripture. So when somebody approaches uh, John 3.16, their natural bent is going to be with being brought up on libertarian free will and other aspects of those those philosophical positions. It's going to be, well, that means, interpret it through the lens of libertarian free will, obviously everyone can come to us because we are all free in a libertarian sense. But that type of interpretation, not only, uh, it really inserts a lot into the passage, the passage doesn't actually say. So the first thing that I'll say is, well, what does the passage actually say? Let's just stick with what it says and what it says alone. Let's not insert anything else. First, when we're interpreting, you start with the passage. That's the first context. Then you move to the second context, which is the surrounding passages. Then you move to the, the book, which is the, which is the surrounding passage. Then you move to the Bible which is your contextual, you know, concentric circles. And you, without doing that, then you can get all sorts of crazy interpretations. And really, anyone can be right, right? Yeah. If you can just insert whatever philosophical idea, Jehovah's Witness, their belief is that Jesus was turned—he became God. They are basically Arians in a way. Uh, they're the, and then we have Mormonism— polytheism in its finest. (laughs) They're polytheism. Exactly. And they bring those, those ideas so much so that they go into John one and try to reinterpret John one so that Jesus was a God and not the God that, well, of course, there is no definite article there, but that doesn't mean that we insert an indefinite article, right? And and they Anyways. actually
0: have to uh, do hula hoops on that because if they want to insert that, yeah. because there are places where there's no definite article regarding the Father, and they will never right. exactly. admit that the Father is not the Almighty God. So they have an
1: issue, there. exactly. But you see that as we're interpreting the scriptures, we while we do have to bring some you know logical matrices to to be able to understand. The scriptures at all we can only bring in the matrixes that the bible itself does not condemn and that would mean that we cannot bring libertarian free will to the to to the interpretational table right.
0: and and so. let's let's also uh let me let me just make this disclaimer here as well that whenever we are discussing this topic of unconditional election with with those who are not adhering to it in the manner that we believe is that 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 is biblical um, whenever they throw up verses to us in opposition to what we are saying, the text is actually saying John 3.16, we'll get into a couple of other ones. That is not a key for us to disrespect that text of Scripture. Uh, it is not, mm-hmm. it is not mm-hmm. a, a way for us to sit there and say, ha, John 3.16, I've seen this millions of times. No, this is god breathed <laughs> Scripture that someone is bringing yeah. to you and should be addressed in seriousness and with reverence. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. I mean, don't ever snark at the text given to you. Deal with the text. And if you're not able to deal with the text, maybe that's saying a little bit more about your studies on the particular issue than the person that you are addressing. Mm -hmm. So, John 3, 16, you know, obviously a very popular one. Calvinists agree wholeheartedly with the verse. We do believe that whosoever believes will
1: be saved. Uh, that is- and we believe that God loved the world in the way that whosoever shall believe because, of course, it says God so loved the world. That doesn't mean, that oh, he just so much loved the world, even though he does right. infinitely. It's trying to say God loved the world in this way, right. that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever – and, of course, in the original Greek, it's all the believing yes. – will be saved. Um, it, basically, it's, it's very clear in what it's trying to say. But only in what's trying right. to right and John three
0: sixteen and I think and like you said it's because that libertarian free will presupposition is already stuffed in there that it's no. hard to see that John three sixteen in and of itself is a very exclusive text. Uh, of course, we do yeah. believe that whosoever believes the question goes to who will believe, and this goes back mm-hmm. to our inability and our necessity to be drawn by the Father and raise the spiritual life in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. The ones who will believe are the ones elected by God. And that's whenever you can use other scripture to support the scripture at hand, such as Ephesians 1, where it we talks about we were predestined. Uh, you can go to Romans 9, even, which is, of course, the Calvinist stronghold there. I believe that right there is literally <laughs> the death blow to every opposition to it because he deals with the same exact objections that's given oh, to gosh. us.
1: Oh, gosh. Who are you. He actually oh, puts man. voice to it, Oh man! When I read that, I was like, "Wait, that's my objection." Wait, what? I'm the uh, I'm the opponent of Paul, and you
0: do not <laughs> want to be on that side no, of the scripture. You no, you don't. <laughs> you do not no, you want don't. to be on the opposing side of the greatest theologian to ever walk the face of this earth. And who Uh will ever walk the face of this earth? Our beloved apostle. I remember
1: when I read uh, Roger Olson's book against Calvinism the whole time. By the way, he mentions Romans nine once. And all he says is, Oh, I, I, I take that to mean nations like the original Greek, like the original fathers did. I was like, what really, really, Oh man. And he, then he continues on. And the whole time I kept reading, I was like, uh, basically you are putting, you're in many ways saying the, 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 the objection. Why does he still find fault for who can he, who can resist his well? Oh will? man, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but who are you, oh man, to answer back to yeah. God.
0: And see, here's the thing though, is that they express the sovereignty that God has over the nations, the nations, a collection mm. of individuals, but not sole individuals. And that's a little confusing.
1: Yeah. If we're going to take Romans nine to be just referring to nations, then we have a problem because it actually ripped a nation apart because the whole reason for him to address that issue was because there are Jews that are not going to be saved that are a part of the nation. So what's going on here is then they're basically Jewish people are saying, wait a second, if we are saved by grace through faith, then that means that the promises that God gave us in the past are null and void. He, he didn't wait. He said the whole nation of Israel is going to be saved. And then Paul says, no, no, no. But not everyone who is of Israel is of the promise of Israel. Notice the distinction he's yes. making. He's splitting that nation in half. So if he's split now, he's breaking them into individuals. The very passage itself is dealing with individuals. It is. So, so and I and
0: I think ahead. that whenever you look at the the uh the text of John three sixteen, which which to me, honestly, is one of is probably the most popular verse in the entire scripture. Uh, the one mm-hmm. that people have memorized him rightly. So it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful promise given oh, yeah. to us. I love John 3, I have it hanging up in my office. But it's exclusive mm-hmm. in terms of eternal life to the believing ones, as you alluded to in the original mm-hmm. Greek. The term world that's given there does not mean all people without distinction necessarily. The love of God, and this is from R.C. Sproul, the love of God is not confined to national boundaries, but it extends to all kinds of nations, tribes, cultures, tongues, and people, Jew and Gentile. Reality is that we see that God hates Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Poor Esau.
1: And then we see throughout the Bible other places where he says that he hates evildoers and he, you know, he can't stand with them. Um, and we also have to – but to, to really understand that, we've got to look at the context of John and what, what the purpose of John right. was. It's much like Hebrews. He was reading – he was writing. John was writing later – to his to his hebraic audience in many yeah. ways you know i know it was a later passage or a later edition but
0: yeah and then you have to take into account too that in john chapter 3 jesus is addressing nicodemus a jew who at this point would only believe that the jews are saved so you have jesus speaking to nicodemus you must be born again and at that point i think maybe nicodemus wanted to jump straight back into a womb and be born again physically
1: <laughs> well let's add let's make sure we add the nuance here that uh, Nicodemus would have believed that the entire nation of, of, of Israel, of Jew, were children of the promise and that they were going to be saved. But the only way that you could be saved then if you were a Gentile is if you were a Jewish convert. You actually had to go through a very, very ritualistic conversion in order to be considered saved. And that effectively means you're grafted in by their viewpoint into the nation of Israel. But for the most part, it was only the nation yep. of Israel, and that means the ethnic Jews were going to be yeah. saved.
0: And so, I mean, this, this is really uh, at the root of the conversation whenever you're talking about the doctrine of unconditional election, that no, 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 this is not biblical because this makes God out to be a tyrant. God loves everyone. We are all children of God. And, you know, John makes that distinction as well, that those who believe are actually the children of God. Um now we can move into another verse as well, and, and so it's really twofold. And pretty much any time that the doctrines of grace are brought up, there is always two verses that I can count on being being uh, given back to me in opposition. And that first one is John three sixteen. Uh, another one in First Timothy. You know, we can get to that one, uh, but that's more so I think in the limited atonement discussion. But you're going to move into Second Peter. Three nine, where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And again, this is important for us to study the context of this. And this is perhaps where Andrew Rappaport shines more so than anybody else's because this guy is so good at biblical interpretation, he bases his ministry off really of it. really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Context, context, context. That's the first rule of interpretation. Context, context, context. Who was Second Peter written to? And you have to go all the way back to First Peter because it's the same group as written by First Peter. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the elect. There's that word. Elect exiles.
1: He actually opens up his for well, that's what you're That's what you're quoting. Yeah, the
0: elect <laughs> exiles. And he refers to them mm. commonly in the book as the beloved. Uh, he is addressing them as brothers in Christ. So it, it bothers me when people use this verse. I'll be honest. It bothers me whenever they use it. Not not because they're using Scripture. I have no problem at all with that. Uh, it bothers me whenever people use it to disprove Calvinism. The context clearly matters here. We'll agree with that. But the way that synergists use this verse makes God seem so tiny and weak just hoping that Almighty Man would just exercise that fallen will to come to him
1: and and there's there's a very important distinction we have to make here, one that even I will add uh even open theists make this distinction, yes. and that is the 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 differences between the wills of God and there are some people who try to approach this from a simplistic will perspective. I think they 're not really well studied because even Gregory Boyd. Who is a flaming open theist? He admits, well, there has to be different uh, levels of God's will in order to account for biblical evidence. And in in the case of second in Second Peter, we do see the uh, some of God's uh, prescriptive, his his you know his revealed will yes. to us, and but that does not necessarily negate his secret will. You know, there can be very often times where God says, I didn't want this to happen. You know, where he actually says inside the Old Testament, uh, I forgot which passage, but he says, it didn't even enter my mind. What he's doing is he's telling us about his prescribed will. He's telling us that that is is so far outside of my character that that's not something that would even enter my mind. That's not something that would enter my law effectively. But that doesn't mean that his secret will, which is made, which we don't have access to doesn't have something that would actually go against his prescribed will. And that's, and if some people look at this but way, well, well, that's crazy. Wait a second. How often are you going to tell your child? No, don't do that. Knowing that they're going to do it. Right. How often are you going to do that? That would effectively be an example of prescribed will secret will your secret will is, yeah, I know he's going to break my, my rules, but there's a reason why you would do that in the same way for God. There's a reason why he would say something And of course, this is for the ultimate glory of his name. There was a reason why he would say something, and at the same right, no, they're not going to do that, right? And
0: so. so, I want to move into another segment. Man, it's hard to believe that we've been going for almost an hour on this. Man, I have enjoyed this so much. We Talk all yeah, day. We, we could talk all day about this. So let's move into. I want to move into the five points corner, and this is where I am going to get five quick points from the episode so far. Uh, and I, t- uh, you know, I went through this. I sent Lance my notes on this. Uh, he kind of knows where I'm going with it, but I'm very OCD with preparation. I hope. I hope that people can respect that. Uh, So God is a saving God, number one. And amen, praise God, hallelujah, that God is a saving God. Number two, God is sovereign. We are not. Salvation is completely and totally of the Lord. Number three, God's election is completely grace. Steve Lawson says salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. There is absolutely nothing special whatsoever about the ones that God has chosen. The elect are not elected because of anything foreseen about them. And that's the thing that we have to understand. You go to Romans 8, 28 through 29. It says those that he foreknew in the Greek is better translated as foreloved. Of course, that everyone knows that God foreknows them. He knew Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb. Ephesians one eleven, in him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. There's the reasoning behind the election. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Number four, God's sovereignty in election does not negate. The responsibility of man. Man is responsible for their sin in every single aspect of the terminology. Number five, God Mm -hmm. is glorified through his sovereign election. He is glorified in demonstrating his unending love, mercy, and grace towards the elect. But for the non-elect, those who in their natural and fallen state have no desire whatsoever for God, God will be glorified in their damnation through the display of his divine justice and wrath against sin for all of eternity.
1: And for those who want to say, whoa, 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 that's harsh. God, how can he be justified in saying that? We just have to go back to Romans 9, and it literally says exactly that. But well, 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 how does he still, still find fault for? Who can resist his will? The libertarian free proponent says. And then he says, "Who are you, O man?" Answer back to God. Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? What if God, desiring to show the riches of His mercy for the for the vessel intended for for mercy, uh, has suffered vessels intended for wrath for this purpose, a demonstration. Amen. So,
0: and and I and I tell you that I can understand uh, whenever someone is being introduced to these doctrines. I understand. I was saved for maybe eight months whenever I come to the understanding of that. I can only imagine those who have been saved for years upon years, who have Mm -hmm. just been taught Mm -hmm. this false doctrine of libertarian free will, who have not been introduced to the absolute magnifying sovereignty of God in this aspect and how this can be difficult. And brothers and sisters, we should be patient with these people. Uh, we should be incredibly long-suffering because God has been long-suffering towards us. So, oh yes, and, and Lance, it sounds like you know something about the long-suffering. You know, there there is a startling realization whenever we look at tulip of just who we are and who God is and what we rightly deserve versus
1: what God has gifted us with, and the fact that any of us are saved at all is a is a mysterious wonderful joyous truth that should incite endless praise that any of yeah. us not th- not that some of us you know th- there's no one who deserves it everyone deserves internal damnation. So wait a second, but the, what should blow our minds is, is not that anyone is going to hell, but that anyone is saved at yeah, all. Yeah,
0: the, the fact that heaven... Let and, alone
1: a great multitude. A
0: great multitude in the, every time, tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, the fact that we can yes. say that is just so demonstrative of God's mercy. Astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing, <laughs> and that's why we preach the doctrines of grace. It's not because we're trying to yes. magnify ourselves, but because it so magnifies who God is and his absolute sovereignty. So, guys, we have gone for about an hour. Man, I wish we could just go for about four more hours on this. <laughs> uh,
1: but, I think people would start tuning out at that point.
0: Yeah, so, guys, I want to encourage you. I listened to the episode of Dive Deep last night with Lance Phelps. It's absolutely fantastic. I'll be tuning in every single week to hear this. I, I was so encouraged by the material on there and the holding to Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Absolutely phenomenal. Be sure to check out the Five Points uh I'm sorry, the five points be up. Check out the dive deep podcast. Five yeah. Five souls oh. podcast. Check out and check that out. <laughs> definitely. definitely. Thank you very much. It's a good <laughs> one. Uh, check out the dive deep podcast with Lance Phelps. Um, Check out the others on the Christian podcast community as well. The rap report with Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, Colleen Sharp and uh, Ashley on theology gals. Be sure to check out Daryl and his wife, Fitty Updike on what are we even doing here? It's a, Little bit different because it's a very natural sounding podcast, you know. You hear their baby kind of crying in the background. So it's one of those things where you can you can ride down the road and you're actually feeling like you're sitting at a table with them discussing the issues that they're going over. And it's a husband and wife duo. So, you know, the energy's there, the the dynamics there. I enjoy it very much. What are we even doing here? Podcast. That's awesome it answers a question. I'm gonna have to check that yeah, one out. We we all have that question. What are we even doing here? What's what's the point in this <laughs> to glorify God? answer (laughs) uh in all that we do um that's the answer i am so excited about this podcast coming out this episode coming out because it's on a very difficult subject that again we didn't even make a dent in and you know maybe going down the the line we can get together some more and really hash out some more verses to hash out the libertarian Mm -hmm. free will Mm -hmm. open theism i'd love Mm -hmm. that
1: Hey, if you want me to back, come back on and talk about libertarian free will, that's my that's my jam right there. A libertarian free will is something I've studied extensively.
0: Yeah, so Lance, I do want to kind of give you a platform here uh, to end the to end the podcast, and then I'm going to throw you okay. under the spotlight uh, just to kind of talk about anything that's going on within uh, your ministry within your podcast. Tell us where we can listen okay. to the podcast.
1: Awesome. Okay, so um, I have two things to say. Uh, first, I going to speak to Calvinists. Um, and you'll understand here in a minute more what I'm com- where I'm coming from. But the Calvinists need to understand we need to be patient. Paul says that he actually defines those brothers and sisters who are weaker or stronger. Mm-hmm. He defines those brothers and sisters um, over a doctrinal dispute—one whether or not you can or can't eat meat. But notice that he doesn't say these brothers are not brothers at all because they believe you can't eat meat. What he says is they are weaker. So that means—and then he doesn't then turn to the stronger brother and say, pat on the back, you're better than them. No, he says, you have an obligation to be patient, to be loving, to be kind. So if we break that obligation, if genuinely we are the stronger brother that adheres to the correct doctrine, then we are violating that edict of love that God has given us, that we have to be patient, gentle, and kind, teaching the truth. Never. We don't falter on that but if we see them as the weaker brothers then that actually makes means we have more of an obligation than we did before so and that's actually true of the uh, armenians if you truly believe we are the weaker brothers then again you have an obligation to be patient and kind with us i think you're wrong but nevertheless so then to my armenian brothers and sisters be do be patient with us but listen this doctrine is extremely difficult i believe because it it rocks the foundation of libertarian free will. And I will say libertarian free will is a foundational doctrine because so many other doctrines, including um, apologetic doctrines, like why, uh, you know, why does God allow evil? Well, there's so many apologists answer because he wanted to give us libertarian free will. The Bible doesn't say that. And so we we then have these these – we have stacked all these other doctrines on libertarian free will. So when a Calvinist comes along and says libertarian free will doesn't exist – when a foundational doctrine is questioned, it becomes stressful. We become agitated and stressful and becomes, ooh, you get into defense mode because you realize all my other beliefs are going to crumble around me. Please, no, your beliefs are not going to crumble around you. Rest your beliefs on God. There is a reason that God has given us that he has allowed suffering and evil. There is a reason that God has given us that he has elected those who are to be saved. And it doesn't rest on libertarian free will. So for Calvinists, be patient. You are attacking their core assumptions. For Arminians, re- realize that we're not attacking you. We are just attacking a faulty assumption. <laughs> Amen. So,
0: Amen. So, uh, of course, um, oh. this the, obviously the Five Souls podcast is that we aim towards more of a reformed crowd, but I want others to listen to the podcast. I hope a non-believer jumps on here. I hope a Mormon comes on. I hope a Jehovah's Witness comes on. I hope a, a Seventh-day Adventist. I hope Roman Catholics. I hope they all come on here and they hear it because I love the truths that are outlined within the Word of God, and I am prepared to stand on that foundation of sola scriptura and the truths that have been revealed to us through God read Scripture through the apostles and the prophets. And with that said, one of the things that I always do on this podcast, and I am never, ever, ever going to have an episode of the Five Solas podcast without there being a gospel presentation given to those who are listening. That's a good idea. Number one is that for believers, you should never think that you have outgrown your need for the gospel, is that it is very, very humbling for a believer to hear what God has done on their behalf. It energizes us. It charges us with the command to go out and to preach the gospel because that is the power of God unto salvation. That is the means that God uses to draw his elect through the human means of preaching the gospel. And so Lance, I said that I was going to kind of throw you on the spotlight a little bit, and I've done this a few times now, but to close us out, could you please just give us a quick gospel
1: presentation? I would love to. I love sharing the gospel. So the gospel is that you have to do good works in order to be, I'm joking, that's not the gospel. (laughs) My eye kind of went, look. "Hmm." (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. Okay. So here's the deal. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And this is by a magnificent work that God has done on the cross that we could never accomplish. What does that mean? That means that we are born in sin. If you question that at all, go study history. Go study just mannerisms stop of human locking beings and children. <sighs> yeah, stop locking your doors. We we are we are depraved. There's no philosopher. I've read a lot of philosophers, and none of them say, "Oh, and there's nothing wrong with humanity." Every one of them. Karl Marx, Schleiermacher, um, Hegel, they all say something's wrong with humanity. They try to give an answer, but it's wrong. It's a bad answer because it doesn't go back to the true biblical anthropology that says human the human race is fundamentally sinful and we are at odds with God. Right now... If you're listening and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are at odds with God, either you're apathetic or you genuinely, or you have a, a vitriolic hatred in your heart towards God, but you're at odds with God. That means that you are his enemy, But you, so that means that you're going to suffer his infinite wrath. You need to be saved from his infinite wrath. The only way that you can be saved from his infinite wrath is if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And this is done, as Paul tells us, by confessing with our mouth and believing in our hearts that he is the Lord. That But if we're going to confess and believe that he is the Lord, then that means that we can't live in the same way we did before. We're saved by 100% grace. Nothing that you do will ever earn salvation. Nothing that you do will ever even come close to that. Instead, it is only in His grace-based means that we are saved, and that's by faith in Him. But what is that going to do? That's going to transform the way that we live. Let's say that somebody says that they have gone to war, that they were in the worst trenches of war possible, but their life is not at all changed. They they, they act as if they they came back and nothing happened. But then you meet somebody who actually was in war. They barely speak about it. They wake up in night terrors. They're they, They're broken inside. That's not... Brokenness is not what the what the gospel does to us. It actually is liberating liberating freedom, but it does break our flesh. And we're changed. If you genuinely believe, then the Holy Spirit has ripped the heart of stone out of your chest, and He's put a heart of flesh in there. And now you have a new affection, one that is geared and pointed towards God. So repent and believe, and you will if, of course I forgot to tell you what to be repent and believe in. Jesus Christ lived on this earth, lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried three days later. He lived in the flesh and he rose again. Super crucial. We cannot compromise. He rose again in the flesh, walked this earth again, and that is how we are saved if we believe in that. Amen.
0: And it is so, so incredible just to hear those words of the gospel given by the Apostle Paul and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a defense for the resurrection of Christ. But everyone that is listening, whether it's believer, non-believer, is that there is a place where you can cast yourself down in complete brokenness before a blood-stained cross, and that is only with the work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished upon that cross for his elect. And it is Mm -hmm. such, such, such an amazing truth. And oftentimes, whenever I just reflect on it, am brought to tears is that we are completely and totally out of mercy and love saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, all to the glory of God alone. At the at the very foundation of all all of this is Soli Deo Gloria. Well, yes. ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be back next week. I don't know if we can top this episode, Lance. This this has been fantastic, <laughs> man. Like I could I can. Sure I could you just can. go keep going. But next week, I am going to have another special guest, and we are going to be discussing another hiccup within Tulip. We have discussed total depravity, radical corruption, total inability. We've discussed unconditional election now with Lance Phelps of the Dive Deep Podcast. Uh, Sovereign election. I don't really want to word it. Either way, God is sovereign. Next week, we will be discussing limited atonement or particular redemption. That's a hang-up, and I do have a (laughs) special guest lined up for that one. So, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, this has been Lance Phelps with the Dive Deep Podcast and James Watkins of the Five Solas Podcast. We will see you next week, and may all that you do be done to the glory of God.